The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Today's reading is Matthew 9, 35 through 38, found on page 814 in your pew Bibles. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. All right. I'm excited to look at this word with you. Uh, let's pray, ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we are thankful that you are communicating God. Best of all, you've communicated yourself through your Son, the Lord Jesus, and we thank you for how we can know you as we know him. Help us see him this morning. And Lord, we pray um, that you would speak again through your word. I ask that you would help me to Teach this faithfully and clearly, Lord, uh, just for the sake of each and every one of us, our hearts and our minds, that we could hear your voice, that we could encounter the presence, the reality of the living God, and that we could be transformed and changed by who you are and what you say to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we've said, we've uh, tried to start the new year with a focus on prayer. Prayer's mysterious, isn't it? On one hand, we long for connection with God. We we want to cry out to him, to be in his presence. On the other hand, we struggle with actually doing it, actually praying, knowing how, knowing what to pray for, knowing how to keep praying. And so we see again how much we need Jesus to teach us, Jesus to show us. So we started with that last week. It was helpful for me. I hope it was for you. One thing we saw last week was how Jesus is the life of prayer. He's the one who holds our hands and brings us into God's presence, enables us to pray as God's children. He's the one who teaches us. He's the one who shows us how to pray. We need him. We're going to see that again. Today we're going to think about prayer with a little bit of a different focus. I think there's two angles on prayer that are so important. One, and this is what we tried to emphasize last week a little bit, is prayer for your heart. Learning how to pray your own mind, your own heart, your own relationship with God. Um, So important. This time we're thinking of praying not just of yourself, but praying with others in mind. Praying with more of an outward focus. But it still starts with seeing Jesus. It still starts with Jesus as the life of prayer. So there's four things I want to see with you this morning. We're going to look at this text from Matthew, and we're going to see what Jesus was doing. We get a summary of his life and what he was about, what his ministry was like. Second, we get to see why Jesus was doing it. And I especially enjoy this. You get to see into the the motives and the emotional life of Christ. So we get to see what Jesus was doing, why he was doing it. Then we're going to see what he says about prayer. So this example of his life, this example of his motivation funnels into this teaching on prayer. And then fourth, we're going to see one surprising answer to the prayer. 
see what Jesus was doing, see why he was doing it, see what he said about prayer, and see one surprising answer to that prayer. Let's get started. Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. Let's just remember a little background on this text. Uh, Matthew is trying very hard to convince anyone who will listen that Jesus is God's promised, merciful king. We've gone through some of what he said, haven't we, over Christmas? We saw Jesus' genealogy. He's the Davidic king. We saw his miraculous birth. He is God with us, the king. We saw um, more of the surrounding issues of his birth, how Gentiles are coming to worship. He's a merciful king. If you were to continue reading Matthew, you'd see example after example of his teaching, of his miracles, the beauty of his life and what he did and what he taught. As you get to our section today, Matthew 9, it just gives you a summary of Jesus' regular practices. And we remember that as you you read through Matthew and you see the details, those are are just some examples. As John says, all the books in the world couldn't fill or, or couldn't contain everything Jesus did. And so here we get this summary. This was what he was regularly about. This is what he was doing. And so we're gonna see three things. Number one, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. What's the next word? Teaching. Teaching in their synagogues. What was Jesus always doing? Teaching. This is what he did. And what was he teaching? He was teaching the Bible. And this fit in the historical context. People would meet weekly, kind of like us, in a synagogue that was a, their version of a local church. And they would hear scriptures read from the scrolls, and someone would exposit it, explain it, apply it, teach it. And guess what, was Je- guess what Jesus was doing every week? He did it as a kid. He did it as an adult. He did it in his ministry. Guess what he's doing? He's going to church, and he's teaching the Bible. Wouldn't you love to have Jesus come and teach? Yeah, it would be outstanding. But you know what? He does every week. Not because of anything special about me, heavens no. It's because it's his word. And we get to see his word. You get to hear his word. He comes to teach. He's teaching the scriptures, God's inspired revelation to us. We have a trustworthy authority for life and a way to know who God is, what God wants. That's what Jesus did. Why do we do it every week? Because that's what Jesus did. That's how we know him. Jesus is teaching God's word. Second thing you see him doing, he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. What is that? Anybody remember what gospel means? Gospel means really amazing good news. The news you've all been waiting for, the news you've all been hoping for, our only hope, this kind of news. And the news from the context of the Old Testament is this, God reigns, he's king, and he's coming. He's coming to save his people. He's coming to end evil. He's coming to renew the world. God is going to come. His king is going to come and to save. Jesus is proclaiming this. It's so interesting that he's teaching the Bible, and then you get this emphasis on what he's teaching. He's teaching all the scriptures, but what's the punchline? What's the exclamation point? God is king, and he's coming. It reminds us what the Bible's all about, doesn't it? You ever heard people teach the Bible and think, you're kind of misusing that? It happens all the time. It's a grief. It's a horror. Maybe I've done it. I hope not. I try not to. But 
This reminds us of the big storyline of the Bible. What is this thing all really about? Remember in the beginning, there's a, a wonderful, beautiful God who makes everything by his word, and it's what? What's repeated? It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. The best part of his creation, human beings made in his image to know him, to be satisfied in him in fellowship with one another. It's good. It's beautiful. But then what happens? We bought the lie. We took the fall. The evil one told us, hey, God's not good. His word's not true. Replace him with something else. If you really want to be happy, you got to look somewhere else. And we believed it. We believed it until we fell into death, spiritual death, physical death, relational death, cosmic death. We're ruined. We're under judgment. We're broken. But right there in the moment of the fall, there's a promise. One's going to come. One is going to come. And he's going to crush our enemy. He's going to undo the curse. He's going to renew us. He's going to bring us. And as we see the Bible progress, we realize it's going to be the promised Davidic king, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so as Jesus is teaching the word, he's proclaiming the gospel, the gospel being the culmination of the Bible, the point of the Bible, the issue with the Bible. He's saying, it's come, it's here. And then one last thing to seal the deal. Guess who the king is, Jesus says. It's me. I'm the king. I'm, I've come. Here's the good news, Jesus says. I'm here. You know, it's ironic, isn't it? The word gospel means good news. And yet as Jesus preached the good news, many people wanted to kill him for it. That's why he got killed. It's, con it's still controversial today, isn't it? You think of good news, we offer good news. You can be reconciled to God. You can be brought into the face of God. You can be forgiven. You can be changed. You can know him. You, could, you can be remade into God's design for you. It's good, it's good news, and yet it's controversial. Why? Because Jesus says he's king. Did you notice that? He's a divine king. The world seems to be pretty happy with Jesus as the good teacher. Happy with that. I could use some advice from Jesus, right? We're all open to a little advice. But king, look inside your heart. You're kind of that uh, selfish side of you. Who do you honestly think in your worst moments should be king over your life? I'll tell you my default. You know who I think should be king over my life? Yeah. <laughs> right, no, that would actually be a step up from the usual. I think I should be king. Right? I, 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 can make, I can do this. Aren't you kind of smart? You're educated. You're capable. You, you're a good person, right? You could roll this out. Uh, look, look at what you've accomplished. Look what you've made it through. You can be king, and Jesus comes with good news that is sometimes hard to hear. What does he say? I'm king. And I'm not just any king. I'm God's promised king, which means there's only one way to respond to him if he's truly king. What is it? It's to, it's to bend the knee. It's to bow the heart. It's to surrender to him as king. So we see that what's the first two things Jesus is always doing? He's teaching God's word. Number two, he's emphasizing the gospel, the good news that God's king has come to save his people, renew the world, and that Jesus, he himself, is the divine king. And I ask, a, I ask a question here because we feel, we feel threatened by Jesus' claim to be king. We feel threatened. And so a question I want to ask here is, 
how can you know that you can trust him to be a good king? Isn't, part of, isn't that part of the threat? Because remember, we still believe the lie. God's not good. His word's not true. So somebody else needs to be king. You need to trust something else. And so as we hear Jesus say, here's the good news, I'm king. Part of the, the skepticism that's still in our broken heart says, I don't know if you're good. Can I trust you? I don't know if your word is true. Can I believe you? Am I really going to be okay, satisfied, happy if I bow myself to you as king? Which is why I love the third aspect of what Jesus was doing so much. He went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of kingdom. And what was the third one? Healing every disease and every affliction. The gospel writers continually emphasize to us that in several of these villages, cities, neighborhoods, for a time, sickness and um, illness and handicapped completely disappeared. Do you, can you imagine that? Uh, have you ever heard of like the, I think they're fake, the fake healing shows that some groups put on? Okay. I think they're fake because I, I, I've been to one. Okay. When I was a kid, I've been to one. And I'm shocked at how the lines are out the door to get into the charade of a healing thing. We can see why, though, can't we? It's your kid. It's your brother. It's your life. You think, hey, what can it hurt? I'll try. Can you imagine the real thing and what that would be like? Can you imagine? And Jesus, or Matthew tells us, uh, just above this passage, I think, right? The, the paralytic who was healed. That wasn't the only paralytic who was healed. Or Jesus tells us of those with other sicknesses. That, the, the story we get, that wasn't the only one. He healed every single one in the area. People would just come to him. You can, you can see why there were crowds, right? They would just come, and here he is, heal, 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 heal. It would be, can you, can you imagine what that would feel like? The fervor, the hope, the excitement. What do the miracles teach us? What do they accomplish? Number one, we see in these miracles that the miracles validate the message. The miracles validate the message. So you think of Jesus in his context, people would have believed of God's promised king who was going to come and save his people and renew the world. They would have believed in that. And then all of a sudden, this carpenter who lives around the corner, and yeah, we admit he's strangely nice, says to us, I'm the king. I'm God's promised king. Well, what would you think if one of your friends or family members said to you, oh, I wanted to let you know it's time. I'm God's promised king. No, you're not, right? You're not. Uh, they're, they're crazy or they're liars or, or what have you. But you know, G even Jesus' enemies couldn't deny the reality of these miracles, so Jesus says, I'm God's promised king. Oh, really? Let me heal everyone in the village. Oh. Oh. They validate, they vindicate the message. He is God's promised king. But they do more than that. Have you ever noticed uh, the nature of Jesus' miracles? You never see him slapping a lizard tail onto one of his enemies. 
Okay, all right, I know some of you. You can be a little vindictive sometimes. What would happen to your enemies if you could do miracles? We don't trust you with that ability, right? That's why none of you have it. <laughs> but you, you never see Jesus pulling anything like that. There's no, uh, some of the apocryphal legendary stuff. He'll make a clay bird and let it fly. You don't get anything like that. Do you, know, do you know what each miracle is doing? It's a restorative miracle. It's bringing something broken back to its design. The paralytic can what? Walk and leap. The blind can what? See. See. What do these miracles show? They show God's kindness. They show God's kindness. He cares when people can't walk, when people can't see, when people are sick, when people are broken. He cares. You see the kindness of God in these miracles. I don't know what Jesus' hours were like, you know, hours working. What do you think his hours would be like if he could heal every sickness and every disease? It never stopped, and that's about right. You see in the Gospels, he'll try to get away for a retreat. No rest for the blessed, man. All the crowds are coming, and you can see why. Why did he do this? Why did he sell himself out like this? He cares. The miracles validate the message, but they also show God's kindness. And one last thing in here, they show what's coming. They show what's coming. Did everybody in all of Israel get healed forever when Jesus was there? No. No, they didn't. But it shows you what Jesus is going to do when he comes back. It shows you that the brokenness of this world is not the way it's supposed to be and not the way it will be. It shows you that all those healings were just an appetizer to what the new world will be like. We need to think about that more often. No sickness, no disease. If you're young, maybe you're feeling your whistles, you're feeling good, but one day probably you're going to wish for a new body. Is there anybody in here like that? Okay. And guess what? You're going to get a new body. You really are. A glorified body, and you're going to live on a new earth. If you belong to Jesus, you're going to be there. And all the appetizers of those miracles will come true forever and ever. Amazing. Let's just remember, what was Jesus doing? He was teaching the Bible. Number two, what else was he doing? He was proclaiming the gospel that he's king, and he's come to save his people, renew the world. And number three, what was he doing? He's doing miracles, and miracles of kindness, miracles of healing, miracles that restored. Now let's look at Jesus' motive. Why does he do it? What an amazing thing to see and to think about. Why does Jesus hear? Why did he come? Why does he teach? Why did he preach? Why did he heal? Well, you're about to get told. Look at verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had, what, compassion for them. He was full of compassion. Jesus had compassion. First thing to notice, uh, don't you appreciate the, the first phrase? When he saw the crowds. 
Jesus sees the crowds. And Jesus sees the individuals in the crowds. Have you noticed that he's willing to touch a leper? Why would he do something like that? We know from other stories, does he have to touch you to heal you? No, you don't even have to be in the same zip code for him to heal you. Somebody will come and say, hey, my servant way back over there is sick. Jesus is like, healed. So somehow he sees the problem, knows it, and can get over there and renew the person's body from a distance. But a lot of times they'll touch him. Why? Because we're human beings and we're individuals and he cares. He sees the crowds. I'm confronted here because a lot of times I don't see the crowds. How about you? You go to the grocery store? What do, I, what do you see? I see, I see me and my needs and my issues. That's all I see. Go to the gym, I see, I see me. Go to work, I see me. Even at home sometimes, I see me. I see me. Guess who Jesus saw? You. He saw others. That's important to realize because that's why he feels compassion. He sees them as crowds, as individuals, and he feels compassion. What is compassion? How would you define it? It's something like, isn't it, to see someone's condition and hurt with sympathy for them to the point that you're ready to do something or you want to do something. It's to see somebody's condition and to hurt with them, to care for them in that condition and to be so motivated that you, that you want to do something. You feel compassion. Uh, the Greek word is worth mentioning. I probably won't say it right, but it's something like this, splagnitzomai. Okay? And the reason, it's one of those words that sound like what it is, splag, nitzomai. It, it really means the intestines. His intestines were moved. Uh, in our vernacular, you might say his, his guts hurt. His guts hurt for the people that he saw. Wow. Can you remember the last time you felt deep compassion for someone? Happens to me occasionally. <laughs> It's easier to feel compassion for my kids. I see their needs. I want to help them. If you're a parent, you probably know that. Or, or maybe you were on a trip and you saw poverty you'd never seen before. Or maybe you have a friend and you've walked with them through life and you, you feel for what they're going for. But a lot of times our emotions are tied up in ourselves, aren't they? We feel a lot of self-pity. My compassion runs out so quickly. It's such a, a limited store. I'll care. I'll care for a while. How about you? And then it, uh. Jesus is filled with compassion. Jesus feels that way for us. Why? Well, look at what it says next. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like, what are we like? Sheep without a shepherd. See, this is our condition. Now, um, I've got to be a little honest with you. It's kind of a backhanded compliment, okay? There's some self-knowledge here that we need. What is your spirit animal? 
Some of you might say, I'm like a lion. Okay, isn't that a pop song? You're gonna hear me roar, okay? I did it, I quoted that one. Or some of you, you're, you're saying, I'm like an eagle, I'm tough, I soar, I see things. And Jesus says, let me tell you, you're a spirit animal. You're a sheep, okay? You're a sheep. Put down the lion stuff, put down the eagle stuff. You're a sheep. And friends, you know, Jesus didn't look out on the crowd and say, I'm so proud of them. Okay? Jesus didn't look out on the crowd and say, wow, these are really nice, amazing people all on their own. I'm not even sure why I'm here. They're good. His heart broke with compassion because he saw what we are. We're sheep, which means a few things. We're foolish. We're foolish. It means another thing. We're vulnerable. It means a third thing. We cannot save ourselves. We're foolish. We're vulnerable. We cannot save ourselves. I found this story once about sheep, and it cracks me up, so I'm going to share it with you. This is from a, a paper in Qatar from several years ago, but the title of the article was 400 Sheep Fall Off a Cliff in Turkey. <laughs> okay. Hundreds of sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their deaths this week, while shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 15 meters to their deaths in a ravine in a province near Iran, but broke the fall of another 1,100 animals who survived. They just kept running off the hill. Shepherds neglected the flock while eating breakfast. Mm. Leaving the sheep to roam free, the paper said, the loss to local farmers was estimated at around $75,000. That's funny. And that's you. That's me. Some might say, hey, that's nice. I don't really need compassion for Jesus. That might work for the poor of the ancient world, but not me. I, I have my stuff together. I'm a good person. I know where I'm going. I don't need a king. One day, everything you're trusting in other than Jesus will let you down like a fall off a cliff. And you've seen it happen to others. Are you going to run right off the cliff with them? We're sheep, and we need a shepherd. The text says here the sheep were harassed and helpless. You think of the context of this book and what Jesus will deal with. Uh, these people were trapped in a self-righteous, works-oriented religion apart from him. Remember, they were, they were buying the, the pharisaical view of what it means to know God. They believed they could be good person based, people based on a, a fulfilling some sort of law. And if they did it right, they'd be accepted. And someone thought, I did it, and it led to self-righteousness. And others thought, I can never do this. And it was crushing insecurity. They were ravaged. They were broken in their sin and rebellion and cut off from God. Death and judgment are coming. They can't save themselves. We can't save ourselves. We need the shepherd. Which is why, yeah, Jesus' compassion, I don't want to say it's an insult, but it tells us the truth about ourselves. But it's also an incredible encouragement. Because how does Jesus feel about the totally undeserving like you and like me? He feels compassion. He hurts for us in his guts to the point where he did something about it. In fact, he did everything about it. Why did he come? His compassion. Why did he teach? 
Why did he share the gospel? Why did he heal? Because of his compassion. Look what else he did. John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus tells you what being a good shepherd king is all about. John 10, verse 11. I am the what? The good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's his compassion for you. How far will he go? To save you, to win you, to be your shepherd all the way. He died for your sins so that you could be forgiven. He lived a perfect life so that through faith in him, you could get the stamp of him as your righteousness. You no longer have to look to a law that you could never keep to be right with God. He kept it for you. You are right with God through faith in him. Moreover, that means you're adopted by the Father. That means Jesus says, I'll be your shepherd. Read Psalm 23 and look at who Jesus is for us. Provider, protector, sustainer, friend. We have the joy of knowing God so intimately because of Jesus. Maybe you're not a Christian and you're thinking, maybe, that, maybe there's a crack in the wall and you're thinking, I need a shepherd. I need a king. I just want to tell you, Jesus will receive you right now. He'll receive you if you put your trust in him. And maybe you're a churchgoer and you've been a churchgoer for a long time. You kind of have a, a secondary thing, thought of, yeah, I think this is true. I just want to ask you, is he your king? Are you melted by his compassion for you? Have you trusted him? Do you know him as your shepherd? Lean into him today. Here's what we've seen. What did Jesus do? We've seen what he did. He taught the scriptures, proclaimed himself as king, healed the sick. Why did he do it? Do you remember? It's his compassion. It's his compassion. He knows our desperate need for him. All of this funnels into a lesson on, can you guess? Prayer. Prayer. Look at verse 7. Or sorry, 37. Verse 37. Then Jesus said to his disciples. Do you think that word then is important? What did you just learn about Jesus' motive? He's full of compassion. Then, what's moving this next moment? Why does he want to talk about prayer? It's his compassion for people as their savior, shepherd, king. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, do what? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus says to his people, there's something we need to pray about. Something we need to pray about. And Jesus here has changed the illustration, right? We had shepherd to a sheep. Now we have a farmer reaping a harvest. I think the illustration of harvest has two main meanings. Uh, the first is this. We, we, Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the harvest. I think in the context of the gospel of Matthew, that means I'm the one who's going to judge the earth. If you want to do a little search in your Bible software, Harvest, Book of Matthew, you'll see it, it applies most often to the end of the world. Jesus is going to come back and harvest everyone in. And he's in charge. And so it echoes here, this echo of the harvest is when Jesus comes in judgment. 
How many of you think we need a renewed world with no evil and injustice? Okay? Amen, right? Watch the news. You break the stories. We break. We need a renewed world. And that means evil must be vanquished. And that sounds awesome except for one problem. I'm evil. I want evil to be vanquished. Except the evil's in here. And so we see the, the, the problem in judgment. When he comes to renew the world, he will vanquish evil. And for many, they will wear their own sins on their heads and pay for what they've done. You don't want to stand before Jesus on your own. You don't want to pull the, I was a good person thing out when you stand before the resurrected Christ. That little excuse bubble will pop like a balloon and all the evidence of thoughts, motives, words, things done, things undone will be exposed. Oh no. Jesus has compassion for people who are going to face judgment without him. That's why he came, lived, died, and rose so that when you and I stand before the judge, we can know we're good. There's no condemnation. It's been taken care of. The harvest looms. That's the first thing to realize in this harvest. Jesus has compassion for people that are still responsible for their sins. But the second part, the harvest. Jesus is going to save his people from their sins. That's what we were told in Matthew one twenty one, right? What was God's promise? He will save his people from their sins. So guess what Jesus has been doing then and in the middle and now? Guess what he's doing? He's saving his people from their sins. He's bringing in a harvest of those who will wake up to their sheepness and their need for him. And they'll trust in him as the Savior. And look at you. It's one small example. You're a little a little piece, a little part of his harvest, bringing people in. It's awesome. What does he tell his disciples then to pray for? Isn't that interesting? Did you see it? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Verse 38, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out what? Labors into the field. Jesus saves his people. How does he do it? Well, his life, death, and resurrection. Amen. And how does he do it? How'd you get saved? How did you hear the gospel? I'm going to bet someone somehow told you. Some group of people somehow, somewhere, were living it a little bit. And you said, I want in. God uses human vessels to save his people. And so what are we praying for? Workers. We're praying for workers. What are they going to do? What are these workers going to do? Hey, remember, what did Jesus do? Help me out. He taught the Bible. He proclaimed the gospel. And he did it with mercy and healing. 
Uh, what do you think uh, his workers need to do? Teach the Bible. Proclaim the gospel. And maybe you can't do miracles, but can you work to bring healing in people's lives? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Thank God for the ways we try to do that here. But look at what Jesus is calling us to do. He's calling us to do what he's done. Teach, proclaim, show mercy, show healing. And now we see the power of this prayer. What did Matthew show us about Jesus' motives? Why does he teach, proclaim, and show mercy? Why? His compassion. And I want to ask you and myself a hard question. How come you're not doing more work in the harvest? I know the answer. It's because you don't have his compassion. That's the answer for me. I don't have the compassion. Do you see the crowds in your life? Jesus is telling his disciples to pray for his compassion. To pray for his compassion. I was talking with someone about this text and they said, you know, it's interesting that he didn't just send them out. He told them to pray for workers. Why do you think he didn't just send them out? Why did you think he wanted them to pray first? Because they wouldn't do this right if they didn't have his motivation. It wouldn't go right if they didn't do it for the same reason that he did it. He did it out of compassion. So we pray. We pray. We need to pray first. What do you need to see again and again? You know, our mission statement is grounded in the gospel. We want to gather together to grow in the gospel and scatter to spread the gospel for the glory of God. Think about the mission statement just maybe unfolding in this passage. How can you be grounded in the gospel? What's the thing you need to see? You need to see Jesus' compassion for you. You, you need to have his knowledge of you and your life and your situation and his deep care for you sink all the way down in. You need to be moved by his love for you. Those are those songs we sang, a love that won't let me go, uh, Jesus strong and kind, um, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus that, that pondering his life, death, and resurrection for you would just blow you away with his commitment to you, his compassion for you, his care for you, that he is your shepherd, savior, king, that you be grounded in that. But then as you see that, and as you pray to him, this compassionate king, and you pray for workers, guess what you are praying for? Lord, let me have some of the compassion that you have for me for others. Let me have it. Let it motivate me, this compassion, where I'd want to teach the Bible, talk about what it means, talk about what it says, to where I'd want to proclaim the beauty of who Jesus is as this Savior King who lived and died and rose and reigns and, and would want to work to heal someone that could be as grand as helping them get a job to as small as listening to their pains to showing mercy in every way possible. 
Pray for workers. Pray earnestly for workers who, inspired by the compassion of Jesus, will do the work of Jesus. Do you need to pray for his compassion? So we've seen what Jesus was doing. What was he doing? He, uh, he was teaching, he was proclaiming the gospel of himself as king. He was healing mercifully. What was his motive? Compassion, deep compassion. And what does he teach us to pray? Pray that we will see and be moved by and have his compassion so that workers will go out into the field. Well, I've already kind of showed you my cards, but what's the surprising answer to the prayer? He tells them, hey guys, pray for workers. Pray that God will send out workers. Pray the Lord would send out workers. Now look at chapter 10, verse 1. He called to him his disciples. Chapter 10, verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out. Did you see what he asked them to pray for? Pray that the Lord will send out workers. And then did you see what he called them to do? Go get working. Do you know sometimes you're the answer to your own prayer? Sometimes you're the answer to your own prayer. The prayer was formative for the disciples in having them rely on Jesus and have them focus on compassion. And then that sent them out. Do you know why this uh, prayer for compassion is so important? We see what motivates Jesus, and I think we can safely say any Christian ministry that does not have his compassion is missing something. Am I right? If it's not echoing compassion, splagnizomai, it's not done right. And that's formative for us as we go out. You know, in my, I am such a mess. Sometimes I will try to reach out to someone for Jesus so I can prove to myself that I'm a good Christian. Can anybody else relate? Or sometimes I see people go out and argue for Jesus so they can win the debate and darn well show everyone that they're right and the other people are wrong. What is that? No compassion. If it's not happening with compassion, it's not right. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, blah, 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 and have not, what? Love. I'm just a gong. Don't you love as I tell my little kids, daddy does not enjoy loud, repeated noises. Okay? <laughs> Neither does the rest of the world. Hey, Christians, bang your gong. It's ministry without love. It's ministry without compassion. It's everywhere, isn't it? It's everywhere. But it's everywhere to the point where we who don't like that shrink into a little hole and say, well, I don't want to be like them, so I can't do anything. Again, both of those are self-focused. The one who's obnoxious, self-focused, self-righteous, no compassion. The one who does nothing, that's still about self. They want to be seen in a certain way. Do you see what the prayer for compassion does? Lift your eyes first to Jesus and then to them. Look at them. And compassion sets us free. It really does. 
It sets us free from two things, the disease of self-righteousness and the disease of fear and intimidation. Because compassion, I remember, hey, what's my spirit animal, right? Sheep. I have something in common with the unbelieving world. Sinful, broken, lost, helpless without Jesus, sheep. So how on earth can I be self-righteous? Do you keep the rules for Jesus because you're awesome? Or are you trying to follow his ways because he saved you by grace and you're loved? That should make us humble. Deeply humble. Deeply compassionate. So it sets us free from self-righteousness to remember compassion. But it also sets us free from fear and intimidation. I don't know about you. Some people I feel... uh, more confident with, and other people, there are people in the world I feel a little more intimidated by. So I don't know who seems to be intimidating for you. There's some people who really do seem to have it all together. They really do seem to be nice, successful, amazing, wow people who are smart and all the rest. And you think, I could never share the gospel with them. I'm intimidated. I'm afraid. Hey, remember something. What's their spirit animal? Sheep. Sheep. You have something in common with them. Sinners who need Jesus. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. They're all just sheep. They all just need Jesus. Pray. For friends, what are we praying for? Compassion. Pray for compassion. And as you pray, this is how it works. First of all, meditate on Jesus' compassion for you. Meditate, think on, praise him, seek him, sing to him, receive his compassion for you in the gospel. Look at what he's done. He loves you. You're safe in him. You are not valued or validated based on how good you are at evangelism. Praise God. Remember his compassion. And then pray that his compassion would fill you. And you start praying for your friend. Lord, show him their sheepness. Lord, show them that they need Jesus. Awaken, awaken something in their heart. And then you hear this verse and you say, Lord, send somebody to them. Send somebody to them. That's good. That's good. Send somebody to them. And then you might just turn the corner and hear his voice. I am. And his name is you. Her name is you. Go. Go. Go with compassion. So look at the sheet. I included a sheet with your bulletin. I'll, I'll show that to you now. You can see why I gave up on my first career designs to be a graphic designer. Those dreams are over for me. That's okay. I did not make this for you so that you would be impressed with my artistic abilities. I made it for you as hopefully a tool that will help you pray. Imagine you're praying with this text in mind. Who do you see? Do you see the crowds? Do you see Jesus? See Jesus and then think of the crowds in your life. Who is it? Friends. Have you forgotten to have compassion for your non-Christian friends? Do you know where they stand with Jesus right now? Your family. The other, the, the, I, I put a hobby or just other. The, maybe, you know somebody who works at a Smart and Final, where you, you interact with somebody in your exercise class. 
Who? Do you see the crowds? People you work with. Do, do, do coworkers need Jesus? Can you see? Can you see? What do you feel? What do you feel as you pray? Do you feel amazed by Jesus' compassion for you? And do you have compassion for those people? Test your belief in your theology. Test your love for your own testimony. How precious is it to you that you have Jesus? How precious is it? Is it a thing that dominates you and it's your treasure and you're saying, I can't live without this? Or does that question kind of reveal to you, you know, it's a sideline thing that's a nice piece of my life, but it's not my life. If Jesus is a sideline thing that's a piece of your life, of course you won't tell anyone about him because you're not truly convinced that they really need him. Are you convinced that they need him? Do you know what it would be like for them to stand before him without Jesus as their savior? What do you feel? Do you feel his compassion? What are you praying? Are you praying? I know we pray. I love that we pray. Let's just pray more. Did you see what God said, what the Lord said to his people? Pray, what was the next word? Earnestly. What does that mean? Harder. Pray harder. As we saw last week, be stubborn with God. Nag him about the people that you're concerned about. Keep praying. And for some, we pray for years, right? I know. It seems like it never happens. I know. Keep praying. Keep going. And for some of you, you're actually in here after some of us prayed a long, long time. <laughs> Pray. What do you see? What do you feel? What are you praying? Where is he sending you? Where is he sending you? So there's just a few blanks in each of those bubbles. We're going to take a little bit longer to pray after the sermon. And I want you to think about who God's putting on your mind. Who's he putting on your mind? And what, where is he, what's he moving you towards with that person? What kind of creative idea can there be to try to go out and work in the harvest? I'm not saying there's no uh, wisdom to this or timing issues with this. It, it is. This is a relational dance in a way to show someone Jesus. I get that. But let's be tired of having the great friend we're going to tell about Jesus someday, and we've been saying that for 15 years. Let's remember a little bit of the urgency for what this means. How's God sending you? Maybe, maybe, you're gonna, maybe it means inviting someone to church. Inviting someone to church is not perfect for everybody, but it'd be great for some people because they come into a context of people who know Jesus and are friendly to them, and they, and they hear the Bible explained. Invite somebody to church. You never know. Or maybe it's more of a question. What do you think about Jesus? Maybe for a while it's learning what they believe. And what their issues with Christianity are. Just listen for a little bit. And you can share what Jesus means to you. Hey, maybe, and I was praying for this, maybe uh, you'll think there's an unreached people, we, people group we need to go to. Wouldn't it be cool if Little Fountain of Life sent missionaries to a place that's never heard the gospel? Or maybe it means you, you, wanna, you wanna support someone who is doing that more faithfully. Because, you know, you drove by 12 churches to get here. There are places in the world that is zero. 
Nobody knows his name. We need compassion for them, don't we? So let's pray, folks. Let's pray. Let's pray now. Let's pray this week. Come Wednesday, let's pray. Come Friday, let's pray. Let's worship. But let's pray that as we see his compassion, we'll have his compassion. And we'll go as compassionate workers into his harvest. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we take this moment right now to sit before your presence. We want to think on a few things. Number one, thank you, Lord Jesus, for your compassion. Thank you for your compassion for me and my stubbornness and my pride and my rejection of you in so many ways. Thank you for your compassion for me and my brokenness and my need. We thank you for how you came in your compassion. We thank you that your work is enough to make us right with a holy God. Thank you for your compassion, for saving us, for bringing us near, for your love that will not let us go. Thank you. And Lord, we pray, it's a scary prayer, we pray that you would give us your compassion. Compassion is fearful because it, it makes us hurt. It makes us uh, be inconvenienced. It makes us take risks. But we see that's what you did. You gave up your very life. Lord, we pray for more of your compassion in our hearts. Help us see. See the people around us and where they're going without you, Lord. Help us see and help us be filled with your compassion. And Lord, we pray that you'd send out workers, and we do pray for the world, for our neighborhoods, for our lives, for everything macro to micro. Lord, send out workers. Send out your people with your compassion. Help us to go in compassionate ways in gracious ways. Send us out, Lord. Send us to that family member, to that friend, to that neighbor, to that worker. Lord, we're afraid. We don't know how to do it. Teach us. Give us courage. Send us out for the sake of their joy in you and your glory. Do this work in us. We cannot do it on our own. And that's why we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.